Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Creative Psychopaths. This is just Mark at the top of the show. As always, I'm here to do the... This is the begging and pleading bit. This is the bit that you hear at the beginning of podcasts where we say, if you like the podcast, please give it a rating and review wherever you can, which is something that I would be really appreciate if you could do. Um, also, you can follow me on all my social medias this time. Um, I'm doing delightful stories on Instagram these days, so that's creative underscore psychopaths underscore if you want to follow me on there. This week's episode is The Fly from 1986, David Cronenberg's body horror movie, which was an absolute delight. Uh, I was talking to Chris about it. Uh, he's an old work colleague of mine. Um, it was good, fun this one, because it'll be fun for you to hear two working class northern lads try and figure out um, exactly how teleportation works. Spoiler, we've no clue. Yeah, so enjoy the episode, it's an absolute cracker. Um, the one thing to learn about from this episode, though, is that there's a good reason that laboratories are normally sealed, sterile environments. Not lofts Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Creative Psychopaths, a horror movie podcast where each week I talk to a guest about their history with horror movies and a movie of their choice with a couple of fun questions at the end creating a delightful horror sandwich. This week I'm joined by Chris who, like the previous uh, uh, like the previous episode, uh, Child's Play, uh, this Chris is a former colleague. So uh, I'm going to stop being rude and say hello now. Hello, Chris. Hello, Mark. <laughs> How are you today? I'm fine, yeah, good, thank you. Good. Ready and raring to talk about horror movies and all that good stuff. Oh, yes, one of my favourite subjects. Yeah, me too. I, I mean, that's obviously why I started this. Imagine if I hated talking about them. Ridiculous. Yeah, it wouldn't <laughs> make a very good podcast, would it? <laughs> I don't know, maybe it would. Maybe people would like to hear the opposite opinion of people going, no, I don't like anything like that. Yeah, that would be quite funny, actually. Yeah, it might be. Hmm. Podcast ideas, put them in the notes. I'm always looking for a new idea. Yeah. Um, so let's get started with these questions. What is the first horror movie you can remember seeing? Um, well, I think uh, the first one I remember seeing it would have been um, an old Hammer um, film because the, uh, on a Saturday night, you used to get something called a midnight movie. Right. And all the family would sort of sit around. It was a treat. It was a family treat for us to sit around under the table, scared, watching the, watching the midnight movie. And I think that, as I've mentioned to you, one of my favourite films is The Haunting, the original Haunting. Oh, yeah. Think, and I'll, I'll probably bring it up in later questions too. But I think it was probably that one, probably because it had the biggest effect on me. And, and it's, a, it's a big family story within, our, within my family that my sisters were so petrified at the time watching it. 
they started crying and and mum and dad had to send them to bed and seeing as they didn't want to go upstairs on their own because they were too scared me and my brother had to go as well um which was really annoying and we've never forgiven them since <laughs> 50 years on and we're still up against them but, um, but yeah i would say it was a, it, will, it will either have been a Christopher Lee, Peter Cushing, Dracula, or or the haunting. All right, okay. I, I haven't gotten round to watching that haunting yet. I found it on Prime Video because I know you originally we were going to do that episode on this, but well, no, I'm not sure what happened because I did do the remake, the 1999 remake. But by all accounts, it doesn't even touch it as a movie. Um, it doesn't, and then some parts of it have dated. I, I have to confess. It, it, course 1963 but the 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 amount of the amount of tension that's built up in the movie i think is where the horror lies you know there's no monster there's no yeah. um, uh, there's no scary uh, girl coming out of a tv or anything like that but um, <laughs> but the tension that's built up is horrific and i think that's probably been a theme of mine through films, uh, through horror movies. Mm, yeah. As opposed to the, you know, as opposed to the slash gory uh, knifing horror. So yeah. like Scream and Halloween give you. I, I think my, my journey with horror movies has actually been, I started with the slashes because I didn't, I didn't like horror movies or at least I didn't think I did. So I started with Scream, like a lot of people did. Um, but over time, over time, my my preference for horror movies is what you just said is ones that build tension because I like horror, I like slasher movies, but I also like to be scared, which horror movies, uh, slasher movies, just don't do. Um, so, what point did you actually become a horror fan? Um. I would say I would say it was around that time we're looking at uh, we're look, between sort of 1970 and 74. Um, I was a very very young uh, boy, um, and I would say it was probably around that time. And like I say, watching those midnight movies, I became a little unhealthily obsessed with Dracula and vampires at the time. And I remember being scolded scolded by a junior school teacher because everything I everything I, I wrote or did at school I sort of tended to relate to um, vampires which which was really annoying for the teacher I, I also remember going and it was so long ago my mum and dad took me to church for, for some reason and some question was asked some I can't even remember what the question was uh, by the vicar and I had the I had the I don't know what you'd call it, stupidity to put my hand up and said, and said, because they're all vampires. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness, did I get slaughtered by my mum and dad uh, <laughs> when we got out of the church. Oh, that was it. The, the question was, there was some village where they didn't want um, mirrors and they didn't oh, like mirrors because they'd been bombed during the war or something like that. And 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 there was a lot of disfigurement. Bless. Yeah. There was a lot of disfigurement. So the vicar was asking the people in, in in this church, 
why do you think there was no they didn't like mirrors? And in my brain, I'm like just having just watched Dracula 1972 AD with Christopher Lee. I put my hand up. Yeah, because they're all vampires. Oh, they, you could have you could have um, you could have heard a pin drop. Uh, I do remember. I remember it fondly. My dad, my dad never did. <laughs> Personally, it sounds like a valid answer to the question. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) No. (laughs) I'd love it if one of my kids said that. (laughs) Awesome. Right, so uh, moving on. What is the scariest horror movie? Well, like I say, coming back, I I would always come back to the, The Haunting, although... If I had to pick one that, that was, I'd really struggle with three, and that is The Haunting from 63, mm-hmm. the, the Exorcist, um, which is a stone-cold classic. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you know, a lot of people, when they watch The Exorcist now, and they don't know what all the fuss was about, especially because of the some of the practical effects that are in there. They, they've certainly dated, you know, it was 1973. But, but again, the atmosphere that was built up through that movie was was fantastic. And for the, the groundbreaking thing of, of, a, of a little girl saying some of the things that she was saying, mm. um, uh, uh, especially especially the, the language that she used was shocking enough uh, to really bring it bring it home. But I I would say that and. And probably the only three films that really have scared me, The Haunting the Exorcist, and the, the other one would be Paranormal Activity. Because I'd gotten to, by by time Paranormal Activity come out, I'd sort of gotten to an age where I thought, as much as horror films entertain me, I, I can't see any film ever scaring me. I watched Blair Witch, no, that, that, that didn't really do it. I enjoyed Blair Witch very much. Mm. It didn't really scare me. But then paranormal activity, and once again, that theme of nothing happening for a time, and then yeah, yeah, not seeing anything. I thought paranormal activity was fantastic. I'd struggle, I'd struggle with that answer. If I was absolutely pushed, I'd say the haunting purely because I look on, I look back on it with such fondness, and I've watched it recently and, and enjoyed it every bit of it. Personally, I'm quite happy to hear more than one answer to the question. So it's a uh... It's fine for you to pick th- pick those, and I um, I agree with you with Paranormal Activity. When I watched that, it scared. It was one of the few films that scared me ever. It was great. Yeah, and I watched it. I feel like I watched it in such a way that it sh- <laughs> maybe not should have been watched, but I have managed to have. I guess it was an illegal copy that I watched on my laptop in the dark, and it was it just. It's just the, just the right fit for that for that movie because you're sort of watching a sort of camera and like you say because nothing happens for so long, the moment it cuts to the nighttime and you're waiting for something, it just it just keeps edging and edging yeah, and edging nice. until until well we've already done this on here until that moment she gets dragged out of the bed and that's like oh my fucking Christ and there's such an art to that, that I think yeah, there's yeah. Such a- quality uh, an art to it and and all the very many different things to, in the horror genre to be able to do that uh, i think takes takes a really special skill every bit as special skill as devising the, the latest craziest way to kill somebody mm. you know, is um 
Yeah, there's, there's all sorts of bits of it's not genres, is it? I can't remember what the what the correct term is, but all the the different ways that horror films are made, like found footage and stuff like, you yeah. know, different ways, different creativity. Like I said before, some are made to scare and some are just made to fucking entertain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, just going back to The Exorcist as well, I just want to, I've said before on this, so I don't, I probably shouldn't keep repeating myself, but to me, The Exorcist, was scary because it had a legacy of being scary in my house. It was totally banned from my house yeah. for years and years and years because my mum saw it in the cinema. But back then, you know, it was, you know, pivotal sort of thing. And it was, you know, it was about as realistic as these things get, you know. Mm-hmm. So, And obviously it had that, you know, like, Today, you can find out as much information as, as you want straight away about anything. Whereas back then, sort of legacy of The Exorcist was you only heard snippets of it through other people or what, yes. the, or what the television let you know, which was that people were fainting or... You yeah, know. there was a mythology behind it, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah. So it, even when I watch it now, I have that, that feeling of it. Yeah. And I genuinely do think it's scary. I agree with you. It's it, it's yeah. Quite, uh, I, I watched it. Um, I would have been about. I would only have been about thirteen, fourteen. And but uh, bear in mind, back then there was no videos. There was no DVD. Mm. Um, and I was only thirteen. My brother worked at uh, a cinema in Nottingham Town Centre, and he used to get me in to to watch all sorts of movies: Bruce Lee movies, Blazing Saddles, uh, and such as that. Um, and and he told me about this film that was you know people were people were really scared by it, and um, he he let me in um, behind my mum and dad <laughs> behind my mum and dad's back. He let me in one night to see it, and oh my goodness, yeah, it really did for me. Um, do you know for me the scariest thing about The Exorcist is is it's not it's not an effect it's not one of the effects it's not one of her expletives or anything like that. she simply comes downstairs and she says to the guy i can't remember who it was but she just looks at this guy and she just says to him you're gonna die up there and it's it's a fantastic piece of, of, of cinema and, and mm-hmm. that you know linda linda blair, linda blair. Oh, yeah. um what a piece of acting and that's all she said yeah mm gonna die up there um so uh, that for me is the outstanding moment of the film and i'll always uh, always remember it yeah it is such a quality film yeah i think you know we could probably talk about exorcist for quite a while but we better keep rolling forward so what is oh what's the best kill now i'm gonna go off i'm gonna go off that track because i was thinking about that and i always remember um I always remember scenes from uh, a scene from The Omen. Mm. The Omen. Now, the, in in both the in both the uh, original Omen with Gregory Peck and the remake with uh, Lee Lee Schreiber, it's a David. One's David Warner and one's David Thewlis. They have the head cut off, and in both movies, it's so well done. In the original one, David Warner, as I remember, a, a truck 
a truck rolls backwards and a sheet of glass comes mm. off, slices. Yeah. And in the remake, a roofer just drops a hammer onto something. It's like some sign outside of a building. And, and the sign sort of swings round and the bottom, the steel edge on the bottom uh, takes his head off. That, those two, I think, are fantastic. Fantastic. Mm, yeah, that original Omen Kelly's. Yes, great film. Great. Yeah, film. yeah. Uh, but for me, they they uh, when I saw the question, uh, best kills, immediately thought of that as having as having a, an effect on me. I love the scene. I love an old uh, an old Hammer movie, Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee. At the end, the original uh, the original Hammer, anyway, uh, of Dracula, where. Peter Cushion runs along a table, dives up onto some curtains, pulls the curtains down to reveal the sunlight onto Dracula. That's great. Dracula's, yeah. trying to, Dracula's trying to crawl under a table and he gets a couple of candlesticks in the shape of a, in the shape of a cross uh, and kills it. And that stands out for me. Um, but that head, head cutting scene from the Omen would be my best. Yeah, that's a good shout. That is a good shout. So uh, standout effects. In a horror movie, obviously. Obviously, it's a horror movie. Um, well, I mean, in terms of effects, I know we've mentioned, um, which can be, for me, class as effect, with, with, with ramping up the tension um, uh, as doing nothing. I mean, I think that can be classed as, as, as an effect. Um, practical effect, I think we'd go over, I would go over to... Um, being so impressed with the uh, an American werewolf in London. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that werewolf change scene. I mean, they they actually, you know, they actually created the Oscar that year uh, because of that. They created they. It was the first to receive the uh, special effects Oscar. Right. Yeah. And I think I'm right in saying that. Somewhere along the line, somebody might have said, you know, oh, my God, that deserves to be recognised. Yeah, yeah. And it was the first um, first special effects Oscar. Wow. Yeah, I didn't know it that. It was a hell of a thing. How they managed mm. it with the technology they had in, when would that be, 80? 81. Wow. So the, with the technology they had, it was it was really, really good. Really good. Yeah. yeah. No, I I agree. Um, I, funny thing is, uh, the episode that comes out tomorrow, I was talking to my sister, and I said to her, you know, there were no right answers to any of these questions, but <laughs> if I was going to say it, I'd say that's definitely the right answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it just really, you're so right. It just, it just stands out. And I do think there's been better werewolf transformation scenes since, but none that stand out as much, if that no, makes sense. No, no that's right. Yeah. Jack, Jack Nicholson, Jack Nicholson's change into, into the Wolfman was, was excellent. But, it, it, you know, they, they had the technology then. They had the technology to do it. But back in, back in the time when they did... I'll, I t- I'll tell you another effect that I remember. It was a Nightmare on Elm Street one. Mm. It was a Nightmare on Elm Street one where a girl got killed in her sleep. Right, she, yeah, yeah. And she was rolling all over the she was rolling all over the walls and the ceiling. Yeah, they used a rotating room, yeah. 
Yeah, that was back in the early 80s. Yeah. They, um... they, they had it where the guy was watching her. Yeah. The guy was, the guy was watching her. So, so it was, as I remember, it wasn't like cut to, to show that it was obviously a pink room, but, but the guy was stood watching her while she was doing it, which was brilliant. Yeah, that's brilliant. Uh, Tina, I think, in the first one, yeah. But again, um, um, but again, you know, that was 1985. Yeah, well... 30-odd years ago. Partly the reason that I put this question in is because I love practical effects, and to me, loads of them have not dated at all. Like, uh, certainly not like CGI dates. Like, if you if you look back 20 years from from where we are now, you can see the CGI and think, God, that looks awful. Whereas you can go right back to the 80s and look at, stand, at um, practical effects and think, you know, that still looks great now. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, not that I've got anything against CGI. I think it's really good. I think it's got its. I think it's got its place. The, the only the only issue for me within the horror genre is is that is that they can do anything. They can do absolutely anything. So mm. uh, you know, it's got to the, the movies have got to be more story based, character character and story based. Uh, and again, harping back onto the the, the ramped up tension of, of, of paranormal activity. You know what. What so I mean clearly they obviously did use effects and CGI, but it was very minimal compared to where the mm. horror yeah. in I mean, however, I had no idea how much they, they it cost to make paranormal activity, but it wouldn't wouldn't be a patch on some of the more modern slasher uh, movies. So no, we did I did that on here and I don't I don't have my book at hand, but it was a minimal amount. I think it was maybe 175,000, something like that. Um, That's amazing. amazing. And it still holds a record for the highest profit movie for a, for a studio. You know, obviously it's not um, in terms of box office, it's not the highest, but it's the highest profit. Really? Yep. Yeah. Because, like I say, it costs so little to make, you know, like in terms of percentage based on how much it made. And I, can't, I, I wish I had my book at hand, but I don't. They were all, you know, I didn't recognise. Oh, I think I recognised the, um, I remember the the, the, the the exorcist that came in. I say exorcist, the, the, the ghost guy that came in that didn't want to stay in the house. I think I, re- I remember recognising him. But other than that, you didn't, didn't know any of them. Yeah, the guy that the guy that shows up and then pisses off straight away. Oh, I totally, totally shit it, didn't it? Totally bottles it. <laughs> oh, I tell a lie. It was made for fifteen thousand dollars. Wow. It's got a post production of two hundred and fifteen thousand because they put that much into advertising. Wow. Um, and it made one hundred and ninety three point four million dollars. <laughs> so, um. Yeah, no wonder, like, they, no wonder they they made sequels. Yeah, yeah, like I say, so it's still, as far as I know, still ranks as the highest profit movie for a for a company. And there you go. So, <laughs> paranormal activity facts. <laughs> uh, let's see, uh, a movie that needs a sequel, or movies that need to stop making sequels, or obviously, if you've got an answer for both. Um, do you know? I, I struggled with movie that needs a sequel. I, I really struggled with that. But 
but for me, I think I think the I think the Scream, the Halloween, and the Final Destinations. I loved the first one and sometimes two of those, but I think it's time. And, and I I would probably even add uh, the Ring franchise to it. I think you know let's let's move on. Um, we've done that. Um, as much as I loved the first one of all of them, yeah. I really did. Uh, I think that's it. And I would, I would even add Saw into that. Uh, let's find another. Let's find another Saw or another Halloween or another uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, rather than keep keep rehashing them. Because, like I say, especially with computers, they just they're just trying to outdo each other with how we can murder somebody. <laughs> it's not. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've, I've got huge respect for the movies. I, I, I really do. It's just for me, not you know what's coming, you know what's going to happen, and and um, I think it's time for them to move on, <laughs> be, to be put to rest, maybe remade in another 30, 40 years. Yeah, yeah. No, you, you, you're probably right. I know there is another Halloween sequel coming. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, and I think I think that might be the end of them for a while. But um, the thing with that reboot of that Halloween sort of reboot was this really it was a sequel or a, a requel as they call it. So yeah, yeah. The problem with that, not the problem, but that's relaunch slasher movies again, like Scream did in '96. It relaunched the Shack slashers. Halloween's done the same thing. It's relaunched slashers. So we've we've had that. We've had Scream. We've had another Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which was fucking awful yes uh, so that's that's a shame really but uh yeah so although although i have to confess some hypocrisy there really because i absolutely love uh james, apart from the roger moore efforts i absolutely love james bond um and hope they never stop making those so that so that's <laughs> hypocritical of me really although the, you know there's a chain running through them you know i love marvel Star Wars and Marvel, and I hope they never stop making uh, Marvel movies. Yeah. So you know, it's just a personal, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. No, it's um, it's just a question anyway. So you know, no <laughs> wrong answers. They're never actually going to stop making those those films, so we're not going to worry well, about. As long it. as the, as long as they make money, they'll never stop making. Yeah. So what's um, what would be your favourite franchise if you have one? Uh, I would have to say my favourite franchise would be Hammer. Right. Hammer, um, Dracula, Peter Cushion, Christopher Lee, Dracula's. Mm-hmm. If if you're if you're going to allow me to to call those franchises, if you um, like, yeah, yeah. I, they were early version, early versions of. Uh, As I recall, there was some mashup movies, so you know some characters leaked into other movies. Is that right? Uh, or was that Universal that did that? Universal did that, yeah. and yeah. they even made comedies with them. I mean, you'd have, you'd end up with Abbott and Costello meeting the Wolfman and that sort yeah. of thing. But, but no, Hammer sort of took took it all quite seriously, and, and Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee made, I think maybe four or five Dracula movies. I'm not. I must admit, I'm not a big fan of the Hammer movies because I find them very. I don't know if this would be the right term, but I find them very theatrical. Yeah. <laughs> They're very... Hammer movies to me always feel like it's 
a theatre play on in, in a movie, and just something about it that just don't sit right with me. They will have all been old time theatre actors anyway, mm, won't they? Yeah, they'll have, they'll have all been act born. Yeah, yeah. No, so that, that, I think that's a good shout. That's a good shout. Yeah. But but obviously, like I say, you know, there's no wrong answers, and everyone likes what they like, and yeah, get on, enjoy. So what it's is probably, it's probably just me living on nostalgia in the in nostalgia lane. I know because everybody because a lot of people like Hammer, and it's they are good. It's just that it's a personal preference for me. Like I say, it's just a smart, very theatrical about them. I just don't. I don't know. It, they often don't feel like movies, like I'm watching a play on a film yeah, in a sure. film, you know, like, and it's that's a good point. Yeah. Well, that's, that's just how it feels. Um, so what's the worst horror movie you've seen? The, oh, no, you, you threw me, you should throw me a curveball there. Oh, did I not send you that one? Uh, no, oh, I tell, I tell you what, I, I watched one recently and I had to watch it. I'm terrible. I, you know, I could, I have to watch something till the end. Oh, it is the worst horror film I've seen. And for the life of me, I can't remember the title. Devil, Devil's Island. Never heard of it. I think it was called Devil's Island. Sure it was. Yeah, two, two soldiers come on, a, on an island in World War Two, And then some Nazi guy has been experimenting with, uh, with, with, a, with some monster that he's found and yeah, <laughs> it was, yes, it was that one. I'm sure it was called Devil's Devil's Island. Do you know? Do you know what? Beyond that, I, I really, really struggle because I like to think I'm quite good at not watching movies that I know are going to be poor. Yeah, does that sound? But yeah, you know, we, we mentioned Exorcist earlier, and Exorcist Two was awful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I do remember that. Um, but I don't watch many bad movies. No, I think the thing with horror movies, and I've said probably said this a million times before, is that as a horror fan, you'll often accept standards of movies that you wouldn't accept in something else, but it doesn't necessarily mean bad movies. That's right. Because there are some really low-budget horrors that are great, <laughs> but uh, some of them are awful hopefully one day I, 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 I'm going to answer these questions for myself so I won't tell you what my answer is but to me it when it's lazy that's what annoys me when it yeah. when I when I see something that's been made lazily uh really really white really annoys me yes somebody's got somebody's got to do this with you <laughs> hopefully if I get to an episode 100 I'm going to do jaws and answer the questions for myself <laughs> so what is your favorite horror movie uh well we yeah we did we said that earlier i think that i'd struggle the between haunting yeah the haunting and and I'd, if push I'd, if i had to choose one I'd, I'd probably say the haunting but but the the exorcist um is right there uh right there behind it yep yeah, right well i don't think we need to spend too long on them because we've chatted quite a while about those movies anyway and I can't offer you anything on the haunting because you've obviously seen I haven't seen that one so so that is the first slice of bread in the horror sandwich so we've we've taken the piece of bread or whatever you use in a sandwich don't get 
bogged down in bread on sandwiches, like I, for some reason, keep doing. You're, uh, loving, yeah, you're loving this sandwich analogy. Oh, I don't, I don't know. It just, I started with it, <laughs> and I just talk more about sandwiches each week. Yeah, can I have um, a toasted one? Yes, you're more than welcome to have a toast. Just cheese, just cheese, or would you chuck something else in? Mind you, we're doing a fly in the sandwich this week, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, there's a fly in my sandwich. Right, so this week we're doing 1986's The Fly. Now, normally I would ask you why you chose this, but I actually chose it this week because, based on the fact that I had had laryngitis last week, I couldn't record the Train to Busan episode because I was talking like this. <laughs> um, and I really didn't want to record that episode. So I've not seen it yet. You um, very nicely agreed to come on at short notice, but I wanted to do a film that I knew I'd seen, so I wasn't going to have to trawl through it a few times because normally I watch them two to three times to make sure that I've got it right. But this I've seen lots. So um, that's why I chose this. Plus, I've always I wanted to do it on the podcast. I had wanted to do it with someone I knew hadn't seen it, but I'm too impatient. <laughs> well, I've not seen it for a, I've not seen it for a long time. Oh well, that's good. Until until the other day when you when you suggested it. Yeah, um, well, I like also it. knew it was on Disney Plus. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's get into it. So the director of this movie is David Cronenberg, who we know from such films as Videodrome, Scanners. Naked Lunch and Crash, and obviously many more from there on. I said to you before that I think The Fly is one of David Cronenberg's probably most accessible films. And by that, I mean that it's got a sort of quite linear plot. <laughs> it's, yes. not conf- it's not confusing. We know You know what's going on all the way through. <laughs> yes, so, it, makes, it makes sense. Yeah, whereas he can... Um, Going on to one of his like existence, I find very confusing. Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> this movie stars Jeff Goldblum as Seth Brundle, Gina Davis as Veronica or Ronnie, but um, she's the one in this that I decided to just call the actor's name because for some reason I do that. <laughs> so she'll all the way through this be Gina Davis, <laughs> and, and really John gets a status, and really those three make up the the main part of this movie. There's no one really else that stands out. Pretty much. And later on, David Cronenberg himself does make a cameo, but, you know, it's, well, it's not quite a blink and you miss it, but you'd only know if you know. This film had, well, I've written 9 million budget, but I also did see 15 million somewhere else. So it's somewhere between 9 and 15 million. So it's a bit of a, bit of a tricky one to actually know what the answer is on that. So we'll say, I'm going to say nine just to make it sound better. And And even for the 80s, he does well with that money. Yeah, yeah, amazingly well. This made 60 million box office. Obviously, it was a a big success. So, of course, it spawned a 1989 sequel, The Fly 2, which Mm. gets bad press. I quite like The Fly 2. This movie is technically a remake of the 1958 film, which is also based on a 1957 short story by George Langoline. This movie won an Oscar for Best Makeup. So we, this week we're covering Oscar-winning, Oscar-winning movies. So is there anything you want to say before we get into the plot? Well, I, I, I've not realised it was, it was so successful. I, really, I, I seem to remember it being quite popular when you say it, 
when you're talking about Cronenberg, it, it, it's it is classic Cronenberg. Um, mm, absolutely, body horror. <laughs> uh, it, it, there's more than enough body horror, and and with a a, a, a big dollop of of sex in it, um, uh, as well. Yeah. And, and you say it, it's not it's not so much a remake of the original because I, I do remember the original and harping back to what we were saying earlier. It's one of the midnight movies that I saw when I remember mm. seeing Fly with Vincent Price. But um, it's more of a re more of a retelling for me. Yeah, uh, and he had yeah. his he, he he did he 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 did say he intended it as a message. He was he was accused at the time of uh, of of having a metaphor in there for AIDS. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, but he said no. It was more about it was more about illness and nothing specific about AIDS. It was it was about uh, illness in in our time. It could be cancer. Or yeah, because the only thing really mentioned in this is 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 cancer. To be fair, it is yeah, yeah. It is touched upon. Yeah. Um, but it is obviously, I mean, it's one of those ones where it's a metaphor, but it's obviously blatant and quite, quite in your face. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, right, let's get into it. So the opening theme for this is quite familiar. I think it is, well, it is obviously specific music to this, but it's got a very 80s theme theme about it. It's oh, yeah. um, there's bits of Robocop in it. There's bits of flight of the navigator in it like not specifically but you can hear those themes within there somewhere so that's fun it feels 80s doesn't it it does that music certainly is Uh, so we open up with the science party and Gina Davis is talking to uh, Seth Brundle and he, he's, she, he's going, what, what am I working on? Why, why did you come to my lab? And I think you really want to come because what I'm doing is going to change the world. And she's sort of like, well, you know, everybody says that, but for some reason, you know, girls don't do this today. She just goes to his apartment with him yeah. and his apartment's a bit odd. It's, in a warehouse or in a loft or yeah. I don't know. When he gets there, he appears to lock her in. Although I don't think he actually does, but it looks like he does. It's when more he gets... playfully though, isn't it? He's, play... he's playing with her. <laughs> when he gets in there, he's a bit of a, you know, he's playing on the old piano. That's not what a piano sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, can you do any more? Can you do a guitar? <laughs> Ding, ding, ding. There you go. That's a guitar. So when, but she, when she gets there, she goes, look, I think this is a bit of a bad idea. But uh, he goes, look, you ain't going nowhere because you've seen these dudes behind me. And she goes, look, I ain't seen nothing. They look like phone booths to me. I like Gina Davis in this. She's quite sassy. Bit of sass from Gina Davis. 
Um, but he's going, no, look at my telepods. And he says, do you have anything personal with you? Like a necklace or jewelry or something? But she just whips a stocking off, which I think yeah. is quite it's kind of weird, isn't it? It's a bit of a weird... Certainly very sassy. Very, very sassy, very sexy. Um, anyway, so he sticks it in the telepod and he, and he ac- activates the telepod, but he doesn't tell her what's happening. He goes, look, watch what happens. And it, it zaps it. And then he goes, look, it's over here now in this other telepod. And she goes, it's a teleporter. And she doesn't believe him, which... But then she does believe him, even though I'm not quite sure why she believes him, because I'm not really sure, to me, exactly what evidence she was given, despite the fact that obviously it went from one place to another. But Yeah, you could have done that with a, a windshield. <laughs> as, as her boss, Stathis, says later on, he goes, uh, well, like magicians can do that. So yeah, I'm not quite sure. <laughs> but anyway, she believes him and she's like, come on, you know, I'm going to uh, I'm going to interview you. And he goes, uh, no, I didn't say you could interview me like he didn't know she was a reporter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there is that. Yeah. What do you mean you're going to interview me? Well, you knew I was. Yeah, but I thought you'd just like it and go. No. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so it's obviously quite exciting for the future teleporters would be nice wouldn't it oh um, yeah. like i say then she goes back to her um her job staffis her, her her boss is called staffis and he he's um work- where did they get that name from do you think oh, no, it's a bit of a weird name and it? it's staffis i like it though um Anyway, what is he he's the, like the editor of particle magazine or the boss or whatever yeah he's her editor and he's like I think not necessarily based on what I know, but I think he may have been maybe a former professor of hers as well. And certainly a former boyfriend. Oh yeah. He's, he's her ex-boyfriend. Yeah. He's definitely her ex-boyfriend. And anyway, he's going, Oh, it's a con. Any magician can do that. And I'm like, yeah, I agree. <laughs> anyway, but, but Seth rocks up to the magazine and he's like, look, don't print a story. Uh, come and have a cheeseburger with me. So they do that. They go have a cheeseburger. And while they're doing that, he basically tells her that he's going to give her exclusive rights to the story. She can do whatever she wants and then write a book about it in the end, which makes sense. So she does that. And then when she goes home, Stathis is in Gina Davis's apartment for some reason. He's just having a little shower. Um, Yes, he's kept a key. Yeah, he's kept a key. I quite like this bit because he's a bit, I mean, he's a bit of a dick, but I kind of like him. And this thing where he goes, um, I was in the neighbourhood and felt grubby. Yeah. <laughs> Stops by for a shower. But he's, he is a creep. Anyway, she flushes the toilet on him and back in the day, that would uh, burn you to pieces. <laughs> yeah, he do, yeah he, she does. And I bet a lot of kids watching that nowadays, if they watch that, they think, well, what happened there? She, yeah. she flushed the toilet and he, shout, he starts screaming. What happened there? Well, yeah, these days don't, um, it doesn't happen, does it? So, but at this point, we find out they used to date, and he's kind of a dick. He is a he dick, is. He's absolutely a dick. He, he's which, a, he is a dick. Well, I sort of like him, which I'd like to go into more later when you when you finish. Okay. Anyway, but and it turns out that Brundle is a genius. Um, Oh, yeah, he says that to her. Stafford says that to her. Uh, so you should go on, go. But she says, go on, bugger off at me apartment and give us me key back. But he just says no, which is 
weird. (laughs) (laughs) Give me my key back. At this point, we go back to Brundle and he's teleporting a monkey. Sorry, a baboon. Oh, I found out some information about that. Apparently, baboons are really hard to work with. But for whatever reason, they liked Goldbloom. They would only work with Goldbloom and the handler. Um, I don't know. I don't know why, because he's such a tall guy or whatever. Yeah. um, And they they had to limit the amount of women that were in the room, because apparently baboons can get a bit... Whatever, so um, risky. <laughs> well, I don't. I, I get it. it. Must be. It, it must be. So I think there's only one scene where you really see Gina Davis anywhere near the baboon. But I thought it was quite interesting. <laughs> anyway, so he teleports the baboon, but apparently it's turned inside out. And then she gets him on camera to say, "Look, why did this baboon turn inside out?" She doesn't say, "Why didn't use a rat or a mouse or something slightly <laughs> less baboonish." Baboonish. <laughs> And then he says, learn about the flesh, which the, f- the flesh gets mentioned so much in this film. The flesh. Yes. I hate it as well. I don't, I don't know what it is about certainly watching it today and doing my notes. I didn't realize how much the flesh gets, <laughs> gets mentioned. Like, oh, shut up. It's, it's Cronenberg. It's Cronenberg. Yeah, I, I know. But it's like this thing about learning the flesh, loving the flesh. Yes. It's just. Just the way that I don't know. There's something about it anyway. I quite like. There's a there's a good bit where it turns out that he wears the same clothes every day, which I quite enjoyed. That he's got five sets of the same clothes. Yeah. And, um, anyway, they've been together for a little bit. I don't know how long. <laughs> a couple of days, but oh, sexy times away. Like you say, that's Cronenberg again, though, isn't it? He likes a bit of sexy times. And then after the sexy times, he gets like a computer chip in his back. And it gives him three quite large scratches, which will yeah. come up, which will come up later. She says this thing about the flesh making people crazy. Flesh again. So then they do this thing with a steak. He gets a steak and he cuts it in half and he puts one bit of steak through the teleporter. And the bit of steak that's gone through the teleporter tastes synthetic. But what I want to is how is it that the teleporter was able to put the steak back together so perfectly it's yeah. it's quite strange that it turned a baboon inside out but it put the state back together fat and everything exactly as it as it went through i mean i realize it's just a continuity error but it's quite well, strange she, she gave him like she's with her saying something popped an idea into his head while they're while they're having um sexy time she said yeah. something to him, this thing on on his back that she's touching she says something, I can't remember what it was. She says something to him and a light bulb comes on his head. Gives him the idea to say something different to the computer. She says that the flesh makes you crazy, which is she's talking about she wants to eat him up or whatever. And she's talking about that's why old ladies want to like kiss babies because it's just the flesh just drives you crazy. And that's, yeah. like you say, that is what gives him an idea. But um, he then says that he needs to teach the computer to love the flesh. Now, at this point, while he's talking about it, and I just want to talk about quickly about teleportation. Now, he talks about the way that the computer copies what it's sent over. Now, so the teleportation, teleportation in this, I'm not quite sure what whether it takes you apart and rebuilds you, every fiber of what it's sent over or whether it rebuilds you from something else. I found it very odd. Do you know what I mean? Like in terms of, what teleportation actually is, you know, yeah. because it, 
I know, well, I know. It's such I'm a. I'm going to explain the science to you. <laughs> All right, okay. It, but it's like it, it asked that. It, to me, it was just like while I was watching, I'm like, this asks the question of whether if you get teleported, what comes out the other end is whether it's you or not, memories and everything. And I guess you are your memories, whether you are the same person or whether you're just a copy, like a facsimile of what went through. But, um, I thought it was quite interesting. <laughs> yeah, teleportation as opposed to cloning. Yeah. Um, no, it completely, it completely, I have it on good authority. <laughs> All right. It completely disassembles you and puts you back together again on the other, on the other end. Yeah. I think you but, have to take it as read that that's what it does. But I, the computer rebuilds you. It can't, it doesn't send all your biological like bits. It doesn't take you apart biologically and then reform you at the other side. It disintegrates you. So it must, you must, it must be a copy at the other end. It got a copy. It copies your DNA. It doesn't send you as a person. Anyway, let's get off teleportation. Because <laughs> we don't understand it. <laughs> I just thought I thought it was quite interesting. <laughs> Let's see. Um, so anyway, so it turns out that Stathis has followed Gina Davis, and um, he follows her to a shop that she's going to buy Brundle leather coat. And uh, he's such a dick in the shop, <laughs> such a dick to her, yeah, which, is. Is, which is. I'm not going to go into what he said because it's a bit not very PC by today's standards. Anyway, we so uh, we see the baboon again, and he puts it through. But hurrah! This time the baboon, the baboon, uh, it, it went through for, uh, fine. It came out all right. Um, mm. So he says, "Oh, I'm going to have to send it off for testing to make sure that it's all right." So she says, "Let's go on holiday," and he says, "Are we having a romance?" Which. Uh, very schlocky dialogue at that at the time, but yeah. um, anyway, yeah, so she opens up this mail that um, Stathis has sent there, and it's got a magazine cover in which it's got Brundle, and he very much looks like a Doctor Who. Mm. <laughs> the picture looks a lot like Doctor Who. Yeah, it's caricature of him, isn't it? Yeah. Anyway, so she's got to piss off. She goes, "Look, I'm going to piss off and go tell this fella to stop bugging me." At this point. He's on the phone ordering Chinese, Chinese, and he's doing his best gold blooming here. Yes, he's doing some of his best gold blooming. Uh, anyway, let's say she goes to see Stathis again, and um, look, she tells him to piss off basically. While this happens, Seth is getting drunk. Yes, he gets drunk and very super jealous, and he's talking to the baboon. Which I liked. I quite like him when he's talking to the baboon. It reacts to him quite well. I just want to pick up on something else because we don't see the baboon again. But there was originally a deleted scene where later on, when he's more Brundlefly, he does try to fuse a baboon and a cat together. Um, oh, I think I saw that on DVD a long, long time ago. Maybe yes. It was a deleted scene. It didn't make it into the into the movie. And uh, like yeah. I say, he fuses them together, but they come out awful. <laughs> then they attack him. They yes, attack him. it attacks him. Yes, and he has to beat the shit out of it. Yes, I remember deleted. I loved, used to love deleted scenes. And... <laughs> Back in the day of DVDs, when we got deleted yeah. scenes, yeah. 
Anyway, so he decides. Uh, anyway, there's a fly knocking around in the apartment because the baboon's watching it, but it's probably not relevant. I wouldn't imagine. Uh, anyway, he decides to go teleport himself. But oh no, the fly that I just mentioned is in there with him. Success. He does teleport himself. And Goldbloom's looking good. He does look good, doesn't he? He looks well built. He's well well built in this one. Uh, it's probably about the best he's ever looked. Yeah, the change is, is awesome over the next 30, 40 minutes. is brilliant. No, but I mean, he just... He just looks good, like in terms of he's well built and oh yeah, he's, yeah, he's, yeah. He's looking well. Yeah. Uh let's see. Um Gina Davis comes back and he goes, Look, I teleported. Um, but he's got buzzy fl- buzzy fly hairs coming out of his computer chip scars. <laughs> I don't sure why they're buzzing, but anyway, they have sexy times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they have more sexy times. Anyway, he wakes up and he catches a fly in his hands. I don't know where that's from. Where are all these fucking flies coming from? <laughs> of, the, of the dead baboons in the corner, probably. Just swept into the corner. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Anyway, he does some acrobatics, does a bit of chair acrobatics, and then he yeah. does a bit of pole acrobatics, and he runs on the ceiling. I've always liked that ceiling run ever since I first saw it. I like the way yeah, he goes, awesome. goes around and runs on the ceiling. It's very good. It's obviously not. Jeff Goldblum, but still. They go out, him and Gina Davis go out, and he's having a coffee, and he's putting sugar in his tea. Sugar, sugar, lots of sugar. A lot of sugar. Yeah, because flies like sugar, I think. And he's going on, he's saying, I think I've been purified by the teleporter. It's it's done something good to me, but he's very erratic and very impatient. Um, And then they go back for more sexy times. But it's like Olympic sexy times now. He's like... been going for hours and she's like oh i don't want to have no more sex for you it's next um, level isn't it? <laughs> next, next level sexy time but he is starting to look very blotchy i think very blotchy yeah uh, and the hairs on his back have come out even more anyway so she cuts a few of these hairs off and he goes he goes look fucking getting a teleporter uh and she's like no i don't want to I'm a bit scared and he calls her a fucking drag which um he's like i say he's obviously he's He's gone a bit crazy. She thinks that something went wrong. She's right. And anyway, he goes, look, if you're going to do it, I'll go find someone else to do it. And he talks more about the flesh. Anyway, he goes out, finds a girl in a bar. And he arm wrestles a guy for the girl. Um, Classic scene. Yeah. A little bit about me on this one. When I first saw that scene, I was like, Ugh, really affected me. I mean, really? Yeah, I mean, now I'm like, it was probably it was probably early days in when I started watching horror that I was like, oh god, that's awful. That's about as much gore as I'd ever seen. Now I've seen so much gore, I'm like, yeah. Yeah. The only thing that I don't like about this scene now is it really doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it, they're arm wrestling. Like he's obviously stronger than the other guy. I don't understand why he doesn't just win the arm wrestle. Why? It, it snaps the arm. It, it's a bit odd. Yeah, I think it's just a it's a film tool to to show that he, he's, he's he's past caring. He's totally past caring. But there's goop coming out of him as well. He's got like sticky goop. Yeah. Uh, anyway, the girl goes with him because why not? If you've watched a man snap him another man's arm, the best thing to do is go <laughs> with him. I suppose. They go to a few more bars. They go back to the house. But obviously, it's way up many stairs. 
And she says, oh, I'm tired. Haven't you got an elevator? And he picks her up and says, now don't you feel elevated? Good line. He goes back. He shows her the teleporter. Then he's like, you do it. Um, But she doesn't want to do it. So she tries to give him a massage. And he's. it looks like he's a very tender boy. She tries to give him a massage. But he's like, nah, it's painful. Oh, I don't know what's going on. And she says, I'm afraid. And he goes, you don't have to be afraid. But then Gina Davis shows up and says, be afraid. Be very afraid. That's it. You're going to like it. I don't want to. I'm afraid. Don't be afraid. No. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Which is a carryover from the original movie. Hmm. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. I believe so. I hope I haven't got that wrong. Well, it's it's a it's a funny thing. When when I watched it the, the other day, um, I didn't realise that line came from it. I I would if somebody had said to me, "Where's this line from?" I'd have said Alien. Ah. I, I thought that's from Alien, but yeah, it, it, it's a tagline from that film. It's, it is, yeah, yeah. I'm sure it's a carryover from the original. If I'm wrong, uh, nobody will tell me. <laughs> it's a pretty cool line, to be fair. It is a very good line. Uh, let's see. Uh, Gina Davis is like, you're changing. But, and she says, you look like shit. And I've had those hairs examined. And he's like, uh, that's a bit of a weird thing to do. Um, but she says, they're insect hairs. Ooh. So he says, uh, I'm, you're, jeal- you're jealous. And he goes, does this look like a sick man? And he punches the shit out of the wall. And he sort of tells her to piss off. And she cries. She runs away crying because of this two or three day relationship they've been in. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, he goes to the mirror and he goes, Oh, I actually do look like shit. And he chews on his fingernails, which is a bad habit of his. And uh, one of his fingernails comes off and we get it squirts into the mirror, which is gross. Uh, and then he, he pulls another one off. For, he just pulls it off. Uh, why not? Mm. And then he asks the question, am I dying? He does, runs tests on his computer. I've always liked this bit of the film. I like that I like that he's still himself and he still tries to figure out what, what's going on. I don't I don't know why specifically I like this part, but I do. Then he discovers there's a secondary element when he teleported and the computer just says it was it's not Brundle. Yeah, I love it. that computer speak bit. I love yeah. that bit. Same as you, yeah. It, it, Brundle fly, a Brundle mix with fly. Yeah. All that speak that he, I, thought, I, I think that's really good. Yeah, I like it too. It's um, I'm not quite sure, like in terms of the computer, whether it's some sort of AI though, because it is very responsive. But um, yeah. Anyway, so it was a fly. Turns out, and uh, the computer basically says, "You're a fly man now, boy." <laughs> fly boy. <laughs> what is Anyway, so a couple of weeks later, it seems, he calls up Gina Davis and she's like, look, come and see me. Uh, so she does. When he gets there, when she gets there, he is fucked. He's walking with sticks. He explains that there was a fly in there. Previous to that, he sings, there was an old lady who swallowed a fly, perhaps she'll die, which is fun. It's a cancer. He says, it might be, it is, it's, oh, that from what he thinks, it might be a cancer. So having done that, it seems to be where it, it seems to be like, you know, basically destroying his cells. Or at least that's what he's got from it. Mm. And she's like, well, what the hell do you want from me? And he tries to eat a donut, 
and then vomits all over it, which is gross. And then he touches his ear, his ear and that falls off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and then she hugs him right on the empty ear, ear space. Yeah, she does. I, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> uh, uh, gross. Although there's, although there's no blood on her when she... <laughs> Anyway, so she goes back to Stathis. It's an odd relationship she's got with Stathis because I think personally they sort of, well, she kind of hates him, but I think she's got a lot of respect for him professionally. You know what I mean? So it's an odd relationship between Gina Davis and Stathis. But yeah. Anyway, so he gets there, she gets there, and he's, and he's like, just fucking leave him if he's dying. But anyway, he decides that perhaps he wants to see what's going on. So she films. Does she? Yeah, she films. He says, show me, basically, doesn't he? Stathis says, show me what he's like, and then we'll, we decide yes. from there whether we can help him or not. Anyway, so she goes back and she's like, Seth, but he's up on the ceiling, climbing around. And one of my favourite bits of the film is he's up there and he, he pulls up his shirt and he goes, look at this. I don't even know what this is. Got pretty good at it, haven't I? Yeah, it's almost second nature. Stop biting my nails. Oh, look at this. What's this? I don't know. He's like got a lump on his shirt or something. (laughs) What's this? I don't know what it is. He seems to think that it's not so bad after all, even though he's pretty rotten by now. Um, Mm. But he's kind of getting a bit more mobility, isn't he? He's he's... he's suddenly more mobile, all this sort of... um, It's like he's going full fly. Yeah, he's... um, Let's see. Well, what do, do, yeah, and he basically says that he's no longer Brundle or Fly. He's becoming Brundle Fly. And yeah. he does this thing about how does uh, Brundle Fly eat? He, talk, he talks about the vomit drop, which yeah. I think they actually did film, but apparently it was too gross even for this. Uh, so I think there is a deleted scene of that. I tried to get as much information as I could before this, but I didn't look for that, but I think it is there. Anyway, so while she's filming him doing this, it sort of pans out and we see Stathis actually watching it and he's just basically going, ew, (laughs) this is gross. Old Gina Davis comes back. She's pregnant, it turns out. Mm. And then the next thing we see is they're in hospital. Stathis taking us to hospital, some kind of miscarriage, uh, Gina Davis, she, she's expelling the baby. Anyway, it comes out and it's a fucking maggot. This is where David Cronenberg is. He's the doctor that takes the maggot out. Yes. But anyway, it was a dream sequence, which we all love in movies. We all love a dream mm. sequence. We go back to Brundle and he's typing, but his hands have turned into like claws. And the computer basically tells him that if he wants to be human again, he needs to fuse with another human. And while he's doing that, he's chewing on his pencil and lots of teeth come out of his face. Um, so he goes to take his teeth to the medicine cabinet with all a few other body parts, including mm. his, uh, including his Willie. By the looks yeah. of it. Yeah. <laughs> kept, keep kept in his uh, bathroom cabinet. Yeah. That's definitely a, Oh God, his Willie's in there. <laughs> <laughs> I actually love the way he's started to move. Jeff Goldblum does a good job here that he's, He's added. Oh, he's it, added. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. Added such, he's head. Yeah, head. But so 
that little jerk on his head is brilliant. Yeah, the way that he moves, the way that his head moves, the way that he's got this sort of monstrous way of going about, it's it's really good and, and, and more subtle, I think, than we're making it sound. Uh, but good enough yeah. to make it. Anyway, so uh, Gina Davis comes over and uh, she's like, oh, I wanted to see you. I guess it was she was going to tell him that there was a baby in there, but she doesn't. And uh, he tells her to leave and never come back. And then he talks, he has this thing about insect politics, which I'm probably going to put a sound clip in because it's one of my favourite things where he's talking about insect politics, which is basically they don't have politicians because insects are just, you know, he talks about them being brutal, but what I think what he really means is there's no morality in insects. It's just no feeling. feeling. And um, he says, I was an insect who dreamt he was a man. And then he says to her, I'll hurt you if you stay, which is always one of my favourite lines. Well, not a favourite line, but it says a lot about it. It is a really good moment. And yeah, I agree. Really good. I really like the insect politics thing. Have you ever heard of insect politics? Neither have I. Insects don't have politics. They're very brutal. No compassion, no compromise. We can't trust the insect. I'd like to become the first insect politician. You see, I'd like to, uh, but Oh, I'm afraid. Uh, I don't know what you're trying to say. I'm saying. I'm saying I'm an insect who dreamt he was a man and loved it. But now the dream is over and the insect is awake. No, sir. I'm saying... I'll hurt you this day. Uh, anyway, so she cries and leaves, and um, Stathis again is outside, and she's saying, look, I just want this thing out of my body, and I don't I want it in my butt. Brundle's watching. Brundle flies watching, and he's obviously got the gist of what's happening. Uh, Stathis takes yes. her to a hospital in the middle of the night. Um, she doesn't want any tests. She just wants an abortion, which a doctor agrees to. But while they leave her in there, old Brundlefly smashes through the window um, and he kidnaps her, but she doesn't fight him off slightly. Not even slightly. Very strange. He smashes through a glass brick wall, which is one, uh, one hell of a feat. He's one hell of a if he's Brundlefly. Considering he looks like shit. Yeah. But... Uh, Anyway, so what he asks her is to not have the abortion because she's holding on to the only part of his humanity left and he doesn't, please don't kill me and have the baby. But she says no, and he goes, well, too bad. (laughs) No, I've made that sound wrong. He says too bad because he's obviously uh, made a bad decision, which we'll get to. Anyway, so Stathis shows up again. This boy's got a shotgun with him, though. 
And uh, he's looking at the computer and he realizes that Brundlefly set up three teleporters to fuse himself, Gina Davis, and the baby. Um, yeah. But Brundlefly attacks Stathis and vomits over his hand, awful, and his leg. <laughs> and they sort of melt. And it's pretty gross. I do like the music during that scene, though. It's very intense. Mm. Um, I've never liked that scene. Uh, the thing they do with Stathis here is uh, it's once very few times during a movie where you can hate a character almost up to the end, where to the point where you go, you were on his side. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that, that's the point I wanted to make about Stathis, the oddly named Stathis, is because throughout the film, he's an absolute arse. Yeah, he really is. He's an absolute. He's a creep. He's an arse. He's He's an awful guy. And and then at the end, they turn him into a sort of... Or try. He's like a hero. Yeah. Uh, the, the, he's he suddenly become this heroic guy. I mean, it works, to be honest. It does it does work in a way. And it, and it's a, it's a way of getting the gun in there. I know I understand that. But, um, uh, but yeah, he's, he's, he suddenly becomes heroic. He wants to save her. He does... So it's telling us he genuinely does all the creepy, horrible things he's done. He genuinely does. He genuinely does care for her, yeah. And and you actually get that going further back because he's obviously had to pull a fuckload of strings to get her an abortion in the middle of the night. Yeah, at such short yeah. notice. At that point, he clearly cares about her. But I always thought it was interesting with him that that he's awful all the way through and hateable, but at this point, you're on his side. It's yeah. very interesting. And because with Brundle as well, it's completely the other way. You're on his side all the way through, and then right in this last bit, that's when you turn on him as character. Yeah, yeah so he's so. turned into a monster, hasn't he? By oh, then. it's funny. Oh, maybe there's... the Jeff Gold- Jeff Goldblum's gone, hasn't he? Yeah, basically. Yeah. yeah, but uh, anyway, Gina Davis shows up and she's like, "Look, don't kill him." Uh, anyway, so he explains this plan about fusing them all together. He said, "We'll be the ultimate family." Well, I don't know if he's going to be Jeff Goldblum with a baby in him. I don't really know how that works. Anyway, so she fights him off, but she rips his jaw off. And at this point, we get a full fly transformation. And um, his whole face comes off. His eyeballs pop out. It's pretty gross. But you can also see why they won an Oscar for makeup. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Well, I guess that's effects, but you know what I mean. Like, uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so he chucks her in the pop in a telepod. And then as, as a fly, as fly boy... He goes over to the other one. I think the fly puppet's pretty good. It looks great. Uh, it's yeah, got yeah, yeah. quite specific movement, movements about it, which is not always easy to do. It gets in the other telepod. At this point, Staff is he's, he's back, and he shoots Gina Davis's um, telepod, and it breaks. Uh, the fly tries to escape, but it is teleported and fused together with his own telepod, which... I'm not quite sure how that works. Because <laughs> no one else... You're, you're unsure about this science, Zion. <laughs> well, no one else got fused with telepods. I know, I know. I'm not quite sure what happened. I think it was because he was half in, half out, isn't it? Is, is he, it? Is he half in, half out? He didn't really need the door shut at all. No. It's one of those, Anyway, he... Too much into it. The fly comes out of the third one, and it's basically it is a combination of 
old metal machinery and and a um a, a fly obviously actually which adds yeah. credence to my thing about it doesn't actually move the thing it creates a copy of the thing because it must have created a copy of the teleportation stuff to combine him mm. with because it doesn't move parts of the telepod aha uh-huh. Brundle flypod. Brundle flypod. <laughs> Brundle iPod. <laughs> um, oh, this has been a long episode. Uh, anyway, so he gets out and he, uh, Gina Davis has got the gun and he puts the gun to his head and he's like, obviously trying to tell her to kill it, kill me. Yeah, that's lovely. I love that bit. I love that bit. <sighs> yeah, I do, but it's. I wonder, to me, I suddenly wondered if it's unclear whether he wants her to kill him because he's been fused to a telepod and it hurts <laughs> or whether he's actually realised what a prick he is because, I mean, you're supposed to believe that he's like, oh, I am obviously a monster, please kill me, I've turned into this monster. But I'm like, is he though? Or does he just not want to be... He's like, does he not just not want to be fly teleport boy? No. <laughs> anyway, so she does, she blows his fucking brains out. And that's the end of the film. Wow, that was a long one, wasn't it? <sighs> and yeah, and bizarrely enough, I was I was gonna make the point that it's it's not ever such a long film. Oh. And the strangest the strange thing about this film for me, well, re-watching it was, and I think I sent you a message while I was watching it. The first 15, 20 minutes, I thought I, I remember enjoying it when it came out very much so. But 15, 20 minutes in, I'm thinking, oh, my God, this is awful. <laughs> and then it changes. The whole film changes yeah. from this 80s. And I know you mentioned um, a couple of sci-fi movies, how the 80s feel is, is in, in it from everything. Even, even Jeff Goldblum's hair annoyed me in the first 15, 20 minutes. <laughs> um, but, but after that, after that 20 minute, first 20 minutes, it turns into a really pacey, cracking horror film. Yeah, you know, it's mm-hmm. got its it's got its issues. Clearly, clearly the science the science uh, has gotten away from us. Um, but but no, it does. It really rattles along at, at such a good pace. Yes, it's um, it, it, it's a surprise how, how quickly it moves. They're actually sitting in that, uh, I've noticed there's a sweet spot for horror movies, and it's an hour and a half. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and, yeah, and it yeah. sits, it sits right there, and like you say, it moves at a pace. Once uh, he teleports with that fly, it just moves. It just moves along, and and that, you know, like I say, the fact that it, it got this thing for makeup is is brilliant because he's it just looks well, not great all the way through. It looks disgusting all the way through, but it's so realistic and such a yeah, a sort of. Vaguely gradual change. Like, I actually think that the makeup really, really early doors when they make him look like he's just on the turn, blotchy and yes, and clearly not well, but still Jeff Goldblum. And that's yeah. really so well done. I really, I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, I like how, how, how he was Jeff Goldblum for as long as they could possibly manage it. Um, which, which was which was a good thing. Even even right at the very last minute when he puts the gun to his own head, there's a tiny little bit of humanity left. Humanity, and it's, 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 
to let's end it let's let's blow my brains out so uh, like I say, the only thing for me about the film, other than that first 15 minutes, was that bloody Stathis. <laughs> he was such an artist. Yeah, an he was. But just talking it over with you quickly there, I wonder if there was, I wonder if there is something in the fact that the way that they reverse those characters. So you've taken one who you're rooting for and turn him evil yeah. and the other way around, you the evil become well not the evil but the bad becomes the good it's quite interesting yeah yeah there may be something in that right so maybe something they did on purpose yes maybe no but maybe we're looking too much into it right <laughs> so let's uh give this the rating system because i checked the facebook group earlier and i don't think anyone put anything particularly apart from someone was going to watch it uh, um, well, Mike Kelly said he was it was next on his Cronenberg list. Um, so, as you know, probably it's not a very advanced rating system. It's either a creative psychopath or it's shit. And it's clearly a creative psychopath. Um, certainly for me, I imagine it is for you. <laughs> yeah, it's a good movie. Really good movie. Yes. Highly recommend that Um We've talked for quite a long time on that one. Right, so let us get into the last two questions, which are, so that, sorry, that was the filling in this in the horror sandwich. I forgot to say that. That was the filling in the horror sandwich, and now it's time for the final slice of bread, which is the last two questions, which is, what's a scary moment from a non-horror movie that you remember? Uh, well, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna take you on your word. You said there could be more than one answer, and I'm gonna go for the baby on the ceiling in Train Spotting. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, alongside alongside Gene Wilder singing in the chocolate tunnel in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. What, why on earth they did that? I, I know I, it doesn't fit in with the movie at all. And it's so creepy. So creepy. Doesn't the chicken get its head cut off during that sequence? I'm sure there's... All sorts of things go off in that chocolate tunnel where there's children. And he, and he suddenly starts singing to these children. It's not a musical. Well, I, I know there is musical bits in it, but he suddenly starts... It is a musical, surely. I can't remember it being on yeah, it's got pure imagination in it. There's the yes, you're right. Of course, it, yeah, <laughs> of course. But well, I just remember it being so odd, so odds with the rest of the. Yes, thing. no, a couple of people have actually chosen that one. So yeah, uh, yeah, okay. it's, it's not, yeah, it's yeah. not a surprise, not yeah. a surprise at all. So if you could make a non-horror movie a horror movie, what would you choose? Fifty Shades of Grey, <laughs> all day long. <laughs> I'd love to see that <laughs> into a horror movie. Although there probably has been certain versions of it. Yeah, but there is something in that actually. Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah. That story. Yeah, that that story turned into. There's a, definitely something in that. I mean, and there's a franchise there. Mm. Do you know if you flipped it back? If you flipped it round, and had this situation where obviously he starts introducing it to this, but then he, she flips it back round on him and she's really a fucking nutter. That'd be pretty mm. good. Mm. I like it. Yeah, lots of, Let's do it. Lots of avenues. Lots of avenues. That could Let's go. make it. 
Right. So, yeah, that's the final slice of toasted bread in this horror sandwich. But being that it's a horror sandwich, I'm going to ruin it for you. And ah, let's fill it with flies. No, let's fill it with Jeff Goldblum's fallen off here. So uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, it's not not to be enjoyed. Uh, fallen off here, champ sandwich. Um, do you have anything that you want to plug? Uh, no, no, mate. Sweet. No. Right. Let's end this then. Right. <laughs> right. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode of uh, Creative Psychopaths. Obviously, you can join the Facebook group Creative Psychopaths, uh, where each week I do put on what movie I'm doing next. So you can comment on there and get your name shouted on the, po- on the podcast. I've now got an Instagram, which is creative underscore psychopaths underscore. Uh, where, again, I'm going to be doing stuff on there. And I've also got a Twitter now. So uh, if you could follow me on there, that would be wonderful and sort of retweet what I do because I don't know what that does, but hopefully it'll get us more followers. And uh, you can email the pod at creativepsychopathspod at gmail.com if you want to recommend a movie or if you'd like to guest on the podcast, then please do that. And the last thing to say is bye. <laughs>